Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, and thank you to you all for joining on another episode of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat. Now, I'm really excited about this episode because I'm talking with Daniel Chafee Hartwig, who is one half of the Chafee Bros Winery. Now, these guys are the epitome of the new wave winemakers in Australia. So you're going to learn all about the winery in this episode. And following tomorrow's episode, we're going to go into a little bit more detail on the Barossa Valley versus Eden Valley and how the grapes differ between the two. Now, if you're ever lucky enough to be in the Brossa, they have a cellar door that is collaborative. They call themselves the Artisans of Barossa. And this is a group of eight winemakers that are all promoting their small batch, very sub-regional Barossa wines. You can either go to the cellar door or they have a wine bar called Vino Local and both are located in the Tanunda wine region of Barossa Valley. Now, there are three major towns within Barossa Valley, and Tanunda is certainly one of the main ones, and probably the most German region of them all, with the German settlers turning up in the 1840s. And that's also why you're going to find some of the oldest vines in this region. In fact, the oldest Shiraz vines in the world are here. Langmal has Shiraz vines dating back to 1843, and Turkey Flat has vines dating back to 1847. Now, Shiraz certainly is the heart of the Barossa Valley, but there are many other varieties doing very well. The most popular ones would be Riesling for white. You'll also find some Chardonnay and Semillons. And in terms of the reds, Grenache is doing fantastic. Mataro and Cabernet Sauvignon is growing there. However, with the more knowledge of the sub-regions and the fact that this is a very warm climate in the Barossa, more Mediterranean varieties are starting to crop up. You'll find Dolcetto, Fiano, Graciano, lots of different ones to look out for. And as I talk with Daniel on this episode, you will now realise Chafee Bros has a very special focus on a very interesting Germanic grape variety called Kerner. However, I shall say no more. I think it's Chafee Bros time. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. It's only taken us a year to get this sorted, but I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, thanks Yay! for having me, uh, Yanina. It's um, it's exciting. It is exciting. What's even more exciting are your wines, to be fair. And you know that I'm a little more than enthusiastic about your wines. So, okay, let's let's talk. You are a winemaker. First of all, before going into Chafee Bros wines, I mean, were you destined to be a winemaker? Was this always going to happen? I, I think, look, looking back on it now, I, I couldn't see it at the time, but looking back on it now, I think I always was because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the classic story in, in, um, in South Australia and in, in the Brossa Valley where, where I grew up. Not everyone thinks about going into the wine business, but it's like this, this it's the tractor, tractor beam pull that just lures you and you, you can't escape it. <laughs> well, if you weren't going to be a winemaker, just out of interest, 
What would you have been? I, I had these grand delusions of doing something incredibly boring, like being a, an electronics engineer or, or oh. something like that, because that's where my first sort of uh-huh. um, interest in, well, the first things I showed an interest in um, in my, my school years were, but mm-hmm. I, my, my grades were awful. Um, I, <laughs> let's, let's not talk about, about high school at all. Because, but so, yeah I, yeah, I jumped into the school of hard knocks and became a dishy at a restaurant and got a job at Penfolds in the cellar door. And uh-huh. that's where the... That's, That's where the where wine started. journey began, which was where mum and dad worked. Okay. And that, but that, that was um, sort of like bringing me back into the, the family business because for, for many years, the, um, my middle name's Chafee, my, and that's from my, grand, my, my, my father's side. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my grandmother um, is from that, the Chafee family, and, and they were a, a wine family in South Australia that um, started brands like Mildara and Seaview that are long gone now. They're all part of the big treasury wine estates empire mm-hmm. but um yeah so i grew up not really knowing anything about that and just knowing the barossa valley and um eventually all these part-time jobs and getting a job in a wine label print shop and mixing ink and and working with designers it seems like i did a full lap of the wine business before <laughs> actually diving in and having a having a crack which i think i was always destined to do well, I'm glad you came back to what you needed to do. Do you think you were inspired by the Australian winemakers and wines that you drank? Or do you think you may be, have taken a bit of inspiration from wineries around the world? I think it, it's like the, it's, um, the, the epicenter definitely is the Australian business, um, mm-hmm. the wine, wine um, environment, because that was all I knew. Um, I think Australia's gone from being a quite a, a sheltered from when I grew up um, mm-hmm. in you know, left school in the in the early nineties, you know, the Barossa Valley was quite a, an insular uh, place. We we hadn't met people from many countries, and and um, it wasn't that it wasn't the multicultural place that Australia's renowned for now in general. It's a little bit out of the big city, um, but it's it's all changed. So now now wine isn't is a very much a is influenced by everywhere around the world. And, and the, I think regions like our Barossa Valley and, and um, McLaren Valley and all the famous regions in Australia, um, Margaret River and others, are highly influenced by um, the great styles of the world. So it's, it's, we're at that zenith, I think, where we, we know what we have always done well at home, but now we're getting a bit more confident about what we can put up on the, on the world stage. And um, I think we're in a really exciting time where we are seeing that, you know, it is a, it is a, a very connected world and um, we're really meshing some of those influences and rediscovering some of the varieties that our regions had from the start and maybe um, repurposing them for, for different wines now. Mm, well, we're going to certainly talk a little bit about what you're doing with all these wines. So let's go to the winery. How did Chafee Bros wine come about? When did you start this? It really started, um, I registered the, the company some years before I ever made wine. But in 2011, mm-hmm. um, I actually was working as a, as a bulk wine broker. And it's that classic story of taking something you love and, um, and it was really the commodity end of, the, uh, of, of that business. And I really wasn't, wasn't enjoying you know, selling bulk wine around the world. Mm-hmm. But I, as part of that job, I'd been delving into the cellars of some great wineries in our region, in the Broster Valley and, um, and others, and getting to know all the winemakers and some of them are friends. Um, so, um, yeah, the people like the Henschke's and, and Grant Burge and all those mm. old Barossa names. Good friends to, to have. See, 
good friends to have. <laughs> yeah, your lumber and so on. And you know, while while sniffing around those cellars and, and learning from those winemakers, um, really f- figured out this isn't that. You know, this is this is fun and it is it is incredibly um, interesting and difficult. But it isn't. You know, mate, I could do this, and I started to get an idea of what how I would do it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, left left that business and um, had our mortgage and uh, decided I'm going to have to pay for it somehow and um, <laughs> decided to make some wine. And I always talked about Riesling and, and Shiraz in the Barossa Valley. Barossa Shiraz, you, can, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to do a variety, that's, it's, mm-hmm. that's iconic back then. So we, we started very cons- conservatively with varietals. Mm-hmm. Eden Valley Riesling is a, is a known quantity, but still it's been out of vogue for a long time. So we just started to make it made a wine called not your grandma's um riesling and um the whole that was probably the most adventurous thing we did was the branding and trying to re get people to reconnect with that varietal that had had such a a bad reputation because of uh, cask wine or bag in box wine Mm -hmm. uh, that was called riesling but was never actually riesling um the rules were so loose back in until the mid 90s that you could put anything in the box and call it riesling style and it and people grew up drinking this stuff and probably drinking too much of it and it was awful and sweet and they just said i'm never trying riesling again as well you actually didn't ever try riesling in the first place so so, uh, this, so this is the reason for the name this is yeah. not your grandma's and of course you say that but you've done a few other like we have the rosé which we're going to try later um yes. that's why so it's all about trying to say to people this is not what you expect this is actually nice tasty exactly different. and i think that was yeah that first job at penfolds taught me that was that you know we had actually this leo buring uh, it was part of that the group then leo buring fantastic dry riesling mm-hmm. and people would just not even try it because they had this perception that it was a lesser grape variety but it's a noble wonderful grape variety as we as we well know that we make incredibly well here so um even at home we had a, a quite a, a job in the early days to change that perception but the, i think it's job done now where we're drinking a lot more Riesling and uh, and the fantastic thing about um, Australia and the world in 2020 is we're drinking all sorts of varietals thanks to people like yourself who are introducing and making people comfortable trying different things. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's a, <laughs> it's a tough job, but I Thank have to you. do it. <laughs> so tell me, so it's not just you making the wines. You're also making the wines as well with Theo. Yeah. My brother-in-law, Theo, he, he joined the business in 2013. So okay. we, we started with those two wines and we quickly sprawled out of control. I thought I was getting, <laughs> I, I thought I was getting a, um, a, a rational business head when he, cause he was, he did an MBA and, uh, he'd worked a little bit for the, um, he, the South Australian government and hated it and he wanted to leave okay. and, and he, he was lured by you know this this talk of um his brother-in-law's exciting wi- growing winery and uh-huh. um, i thought i was getting a no man and it turns out he's another yes guy and now we've got 19, <laughs> 19 wines that we make nothing so like a little bit of craziness now actually okay come on then this is the perfect time you two describe yourselves as and i love this part perfumiers i don't know if that's even how you pronounce it <laughs> part historians and part mad scientists i can vouch for that i feel like i taste that in your wines but do you want to explain a little bit more about this i think i think the uh, um the, the story there is that is is it is a story um the the thing that's evocative about what about wine is is the stories behind it and um we we look at it as a simply a drink but it is something that is incredibly nuanced in a in an aromatic sense. So mm-hmm. when we're playing around with something like the the Dufte Punkt um, field blend, you know, mm-hmm. we we make that with an with a as much of a focus on how does how does this, you know, this is a incredibly 
um, highly high toned and you know it's a, it's a highbrow concept the um, the aromatic profile of some of these wines mm-hmm. so we we do think about that and also conveying the stories and the history of the region and of the variety but so i think our whole focus is that when someone picks up a bottle of the wine it's they're going to get an idea about what's inside from the visuals on there um and the description and and maybe even the the use of language and um yeah we we definitely focus on things other than the oak in the Shiraz, for example, we look at the fact that Shiraz, Syrah is an aromatic varietal um, at its very core. And some people sort of forget that and they cover mm-hmm. some of the beautiful fruit aromatics with, with oak. So yeah, we want to make sure that the wines focus on all of the senses. So how do you do that though, as a winemaker, when you are tasting the wines, is there a system of you looking for a certain measure of texture or when you're blending things together, it has to have a certain amount of aromatics? Is it more about your nose? Tell me how. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's all about, um, for, first of all, we're not trained winemakers, Theo and I, and there's another that we have a third winemaker, Hugh and Fechner and, um, the Fechner vineyard is where you might know that name from. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. He's, they're the unofficial other brothers in, in the, the Chafee Bros. They're our biggest grower, uh, in the Eden Valley. And, uh, happens that apart from growing gr- good grapes, the brothers had, um, a fantastic son who'd done some wonderful vintages in wineries around the world. And he was intrigued by what we were doing with the fruit. So when he decided to come back to the Barossa Valley, it didn't take long for us to convince him to come and <laughs> play with some of his own family fruit. And um, he's got the degree. So we've got the, we've got the qualified winemaker in Huon. But uh-huh. Theo and I just, we don't know what, what is a silly thing to do. So from the start, <laughs> we, when people, when, when our first, um, uh, when we made wine in it, we, in a shared winery the first time, um, the, the winemaker there said, what do you, how do you want to find the wine? And we're like, well, the juice, uh, the Riesling juice. And, and the answer, our answer was, well, what are you talking about? The, the juice is fine. Why would we find it? So we questioned, we questioned every single part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, th- sometimes the aromatic, um, lift in a wine is, is, um, is suppressed by too much, uh, tinkering and, okay. um, and just looking at and, and and too much focus on the numbers and I mean every day during ferment that one thing we do is and most winemakers will should be um, doing the same thing and are um, is is smelling the juice smelling the ferment mm-hmm. making sure it's a clean ferment so we're just making sure that nothing goes wrong because the fact that we don't use fining agents for example um, means that we can't use some tricks at the end uh, we can't throw something um a fining agent or, or something else to clean up the wine so mm-hmm. we we try to not make mistakes i guess is the long story short um and really focus on um what we know from the vineyard and where it's going to hit its aromatic peak and rather than adjust it with acid and all those other things mm-hmm. just really work really hard to try and hit that knife edge of ripeness Mm-hmm. Um, especially with something like Gewürztraminer in that Düftepunkt. Yes. Um, look, look for the color change in the fruit, taste, taste, taste. And when you get that little powder puff of um, florals or that little, that rose water hint in the, in the actual grape itself, um, it's going to be there in, in the wine. So I think it's not working to numbers. It's just taste, taste, taste and smell, smell, smell. 
Mm, I love that. And you are, as I think you've just pointed out, for people who don't know about these wines, they're all minimal intervention because you're not finding everything is vegan. And I suppose you're focusing on looking for the best parcels and the best plots of land. And I suppose if you get good vines, you have a hell of a lot of chance yeah. of making a good wine, right? Back to basics Absolutely. in a way. It's, it's, Hewan, Hewan hates it when I say Riesling is is the, you know, it, I always question what he actually does during vintage with Riesling because <laughs> our job, our job, if we've, if we've got it right in the vineyard, it's super easy. If, if the fruit's good, um, all we have to do is, is be the custodian, watch it, be the babysitter, make sure the ferment's clean, and then it's going to be an absolutely delicious wine. And then you, if we don't press it too hard, we don't have to fine it too hard. So I think, absolutely. yeah, definitely less is more. I love that. Yeah, as long as you just don't let that Riesling stick its fingers into a plug socket and electrocute itself, it's fine. Although actually, it, saying that, bit of electricity, <laughs> you you do have that in your wines. Sh- yeah. <laughs> should we should we, we talk Kerner? I think yeah, whites like these are electric, aren't they? They're scintillating and they so. can. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Kerner. Kerner. So we're not talking. We're not going far from Riesling, are we? No, right. I'm going to give this little little try where I'm going to pour. So talk to me about the Contrapunct Kerner, because Kerner is not a great variety that many people will have heard of, to be fair. No, and I'm, I'm not sure what it's like for you, but um, certainly in Australia, we get very puzzled looks when we say, have you tried a, tried Kerner? Definitely. Um, and the only reason they answer yes is usually because they think the Kerner brothers in the Clare Valley um, are what I'm talking about. But that's that's a different spelling. But we have the only Kerner vineyard now in the Southern Hemisphere, as to our knowledge. And wow. your listeners can maybe correct us if we're wrong. But um, there used to be two in Australia. There's now one. Um, we got the cuttings from the vineyard that's now gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, yeah, obviously it's a wine that um, that is grown, a great variety from Europe, from Germany. And... It's found in some fantastic places in in uh, the north of Italy and Austria, um, but it's 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 the obscure varietal. Like you find it in Japan, you find it in the, the US, you find it in some other random places around the world. I think there's some in um, in the UK. Um, yes, I believe there is. So it's a crossbreed. It's a um, it came from the 1929 crossing mm. program in Germany, um, and it was a crossbreed of Riesling and Trollinger. Mm. Um, a red, thin-skinned red variety. Some people might know it as Vernatch. Mm. It's, it's bizarre, isn't it, though, considering I'm just smelling this and we talk about this red variety with Riesling, but it really does take on a lot more of the Riesling characteristics, doesn't it? It does, it does. And this is, this is um, what is it? Uh, this is 1678. So the four years into our Kerner experiment, and we feel like the 19 was turning a corner with the variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really didn't know what we were doing with it in 2016, and we treated it like Riesling and probably picked it too early. Um, so we've pushed and pushed, and, and it's one of those varieties that gets a little bit pink. It, it looks looks like Riesling early on, and then mm-hmm. just when it hits ripeness, it gets a little pinkish, grayish tinge. Okay. Um, bit like Pinot Grigio, but not mm-hmm. quite as pronounced. And that's when you get this um, aromatic shift in the wine. So it's got a Riesling core, but there's something else going on, isn't there? To me, it's interesting. It's kind of got a real, it's got a little smokiness to it. A little, like that hint of petrol, which of course you sometimes can get with Riesling. But it's yes. spicier. Um, it's it's spicier, and I want to say on the nose, almost like even a little waxier, yeah. a little oilier. Oily and waxy is definitely some things I think of, especially as the wine um, kicks into 
the secondary phase. And I think for the, this 2019, it's just starting now. There's almost a nuttiness too. Um, oh, definitely. It's very layered on the palette. I didn't expect it to be, well, it makes sense. Reasoning can be dry, off dry, but def- you've put, is there a little bit of sugar remaining this? This seems just, um, slightly off just dry. Just a little bit of residual. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. about five grams residual. And we've we've played with that a lot in the first few years. We started bone dry in 2016 okay. and it, it didn't work. Then we went a bit too, too off, you know, we had about seven or eight grams, I think in the 2017. Now, now we're settling down to a point and our wines, I think the defining things about, um, and people say, with Chafee Bros wines, they're all, no matter which one they try, they always think that there's something definitive about the balance in them. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm, that's what we're trying to find in this wine. And I think we're, we're close in the 2019 and the 2020, when we, when you try that, I think we've, Ooh. we've nailed it in 2020. It just goes another step, a little bit drier, but um, it's texture plus, And that's where this contrapunct name uh, comes in. It's um, if you know um, a little bit about music counterpoint, or contrapunct is a really important textural element in music. Okay. Um, utilized by Bach and um, people like Radiohead in a contemporary sense. Mm-hmm. It's a layering of a counter melody against the melody. So it might be ascending when the melody is de- um, descending or vice versa. Oh, and this it's, is sounding rather romantic. I like this. Yeah, it fleshes it out. And that's when you mm-hmm. get those lush layered textures that um, make you sink into a track or you know that 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 uh, make you jump up and take notice um that that break up a track suddenly it becomes textural and more nuanced um and f- the reason we went for this name is because the Dufterpunkt and all these names obviously they're all are, punct, are German- well, so many punct. all punts mm-hmm. and why are we silly australians calling you know putting german <laughs> names on on the wines it's it's because of the german heritage in okay. or, or prussian um we, we were talking off air Janina about our, our shared um, Polish heritage, yes, but there's both half Polish. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm not of the original Barossa uh, Prussian uh, descent, which you know basically was what's now Poland. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the our region is is Germanic, um, but it's it's in fact that Polish part of mm-hmm. um, Silesia, and and um, that German speaking element of our region is you know is 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 still around today. Uh, growing up, there were a lot of um, my friends' parents and or grandparents that still spoke um, as much German as they did um, English. So our region has this um, German heritage, and of course, all the Germans that came to Australia, um, fleeing fleeing religious persecution, um, planted or were encouraged to plant Riesling. So mm. hence why our region's got a lot of Riesling. And now it's rather than being throughout, it's all in the right right regions in Eden Valley. So. We just feel there's a, there's an affinity there, and we're talking about Germ- German varietals. This is an, another German varietal, but mm-hmm. you know the German language is so romantic as well. Um, he says with a bit of sarcasm. Um, so, <laughs> Duftepunkt, du- you know what a what a wonderful say, way way of saying the perfumes point. Um, and that's um, what it means. Okay. Yeah, aromas or perfumes point, and that one is a field blend. This is the textural undertones of that blend so we called it counterpoint because in that in that Dufterpunkt wine the kerner is doing all the all the baseline all that counter counter melody that you don't really know is there until you take it away the Riesling and the Gewürz are like um, the Gewürz Tremina are like the more uh, extroverted the Gewürz is its party animal mate and Riesling's a bit more strident and a bit strict on the tempo um, and, and restrained um, and the kerner is really just the, the the baseline and and the texture and the nuttiness and everything that we love about um, textural wines underneath. But 
here it is, I guess, exposed 100% um, as Australia's only kerner. Well, I think it's fantastic. It's this real mix between like aromatics and minerals. Like I do get like a little bit of a whetstone nature or a powdery chalkiness on the finish. And I just yeah, love, yeah, tell me. That's Eden Valley. Um, when we're talking about the Rieslings through and mm. through, we're always talking about the, you know, this this ill-defined minerality that, you know, people say that you can't taste in wine, but I swear you can. Um, they say that you can't actually taste minerality, but... That's uh, a whole other discussion, t- isn't it? <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, this part of the vineyard, um, the, the Fechner Vineyard has huge, big chunks of, um, of uh, marble and limestone throughout. Mm. Whereas uh, the rest of Eden Valley, where we take out some of our other Rieslings, has a lot more quartz and dolomite schist. Um, so it is a big region with a bit of diversity. But this is the big rock end of town and a lot okay. of calcrete there. And um, you do get some of that um, slightly limestoney influence character, I think, in this wine. Mm. No, I'm actually really enjoying it. I like the fact that it's off-dry because, of course, a bit like I would do maybe an off-dry Riesling, I could pair it with some little bit spicier Asian cuisine or... You know, uh, yeah. I just my favorite dish, like a prawn pad thai, and you know, would go lovely pear and lemony nature on the nose, but this really voluptuous apricot on the palate. Um, I just think it's it's the aromatics are fantastic and would go really well with Asian food. It's definitely a pear uh, pear influence there, and and I think um, mm. the lovely thing about it, as much as it works with Asian, and I hundred percent agree. Um, then you've also got the affinity with and being a, a variety you find in the north of Italy, salty Italian cuisine. Um, mm. You know, just a Bianco pizza or, or or something with anchovies on it. For me, this wine, ah, uh, yeah, my, that would contrast. My late easily. night vintage, um, you know, get late getting late from vintage, just some bruschetta with some um, anchovies on it. Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty good match there this wine sort of cries out for that saltiness on the palate mm. even salty um uh chinese cuisine from certain parts of china i think works very well as well yummy some good food pairing uh notes oh god no that is so so yummy i i've I finished the glass but i'm gonna behave because we've got some other wines now with kerner apparently because it's kind of got that riesling influence from its parentage it's good in ageability. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, this I, is still a quite young project. Do you think this could age quite well? The nice thing is that the Fechner family, um, they actually discovered this variety. Um, they won a trip for, I think they won a crazy trophy with when they were growing for St. Hallett's um, Riesling, mm-hmm. the world's, world's best Riesling or something, I can't remember, um, in the early 2000s. And they took this trip through uh, the Rhine and Moselle and um, they discovered uh, Kerner then. They, and they had no idea what it was, but they... There was a light bulb moment. Um, Graham Kerner heard a, a um, vigneron say, "This is a you know the best Kerner we've made um, here." And it's 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 strange. People say it likes um, a cooler climate, but it, this mm-hmm. was a heat heat wave year in Germany. And um, he said, "I think it's actually actually normally too cold here for it." So ah. that's why he thought that Eden Valley would be you know being warmer. Um, mm-hmm. We have the opposite problem, um, and we we do well with Riesling anyway. That was his light bulb moment, and um, decided to plant it and. I think it really is a Riesling plus, isn't it? Like um, yeah. that's sort mm-hmm. of when you look, if, if, if people haven't quite understood what we mean by it, it's, um, it's got all those, you know, the lovely acid profile, but it's also, it does feel a bit European to me because um, we don't get many wines in Australia that have that sort of textural nuttiness, those secondary characters. Mm. Um, we obviously get that ageability with Riesling that, or like, well, like you say, that toastiness that comes in, but there's a lot, a lot of other things going on when this ages that are really, interesting and um the experimental fechner wine 
from 2012 is looking just absolutely incredible now. Uh, they, they made it with a bit of residual before we came along and okay. um, that was off the second harvest and um, that's given us a clue as to how it's going to age. So we're pretty excited to do some 10-year-old releases and so on. Um, I think it's nice. it may not age quite as well ultimately like maybe Riesling goes for 20 or 30 years easily mm-hmm. maybe this one goes for 15 who knows we'll, we'll I think see. the Riesling ha- it has Riesling obviously is beautiful in acidity really high this still has a good acid structure but I don't think it's as high as Riesling no, just so, a little step mm-hmm. down and absolutely yeah totally agree now I have a question the asterisk, sure. the star after every single wine. So after the name on the wine label, there's an asterisk. Yes. What's there the is. asterisk? What's the star? Well, for? it's um, it, it denotes a subtext, just like in any use of an asterisk uh-huh. in um, mm-hmm. uh, in um, in writing. It mm-hmm. means there's something more. Take a take a little look closer, and usually that that asterisk is. Um, referred to around the side label there yeah you know it, like where it explains what counterpoint is and some of the explanations are much more like the triple punct one is all about physics where we discovered that a triple punct apart from being three points which we wanted to talk about three aspects of the vineyard yeah um it happens to be a phase equilibrium phenomenon and that works what? really well with that wine well that went um, in my head <laughs> Well, it's it's apparently when you get water, for example, can be okay. any any substance, uh-huh. water in a vacuum at the right pressure can right. be both boiling and frozen simultaneously. And um, mm. when I put triple point, triple point or triple point into Google, up came came these YouTube clips of bubbling beakers that were snapping between ice and um, boiling. And I thought that's fascinating because we're trying to find a knife edge with that triple point Riesling of balance um, between the acidity, the residual sugar, the skin contact. So I could really um, see a parallel there. And that's the sort of subtext. We love telling those stories. Like I think on the Not Your Grandmas, it talks about why is it called Not Your Grandmas? You know, it's because grandma drank Riesling from a box and it was awful. Um, (laughs) Those sort of stories that we want, we, we, We'd like like to think there's a lot more to each wine, um, and if people keep on looking, hopefully they keep on peeling that onion and seeing another layer. Well, now, interesting you say that because on your website, you there is a hand drawn sketch of I don't even know what type of chart you would call it a four axes chart. Do you know which is one there? I'm talking about? Yeah, not do you really. not know about this? Okay, let me describe this to you. Maybe Theo's been busy. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> he <laughs> loves he loves charts. It's per- oh, it's a really good chart. So it's literally okay. a crisscross of the arrows. At the top, it's personality. At the bottom, it's typicity. On the east side, shall we say, or the right, it's density. And on the left, it's vibrancy. And then you've got little an asterisk, a little star. This is why I was interested. Between <laughs> vibrancy and personality and a little arrow saying, chafey bros, <laughs> which I actually Where just thought. Where is this? On your website. On your okay. website. You go check it out. <laughs> I have seen that chart. I just don't know. Where- oh, there it is. Yeah, that's Theo. There, that's, that's Theo's handwriting. Theo's yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. I just thought that was quite brilliant. And I so quite clearly, everyone, go to the website and have a look so you know what I'm talking about. And I just wondered. I would well. argue that we're sometimes a little bit more dense, but um, that's fine. <laughs> we're usually way, a little vibrant. It's yeah. just a hand drawing. I quite like it. I thought that was <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Right. Well, you will get part two of the chat with Daniel tomorrow and I'll be tasting and talking about their wines made with Grenache, Syrah and Mataro. So GSM blends. Now, don't forget the competition that is running 
Full details, of course, are in the show notes, but basically go to Apple Podcasts if you can, leave a review, and the winner, which will be picked on the 30th of August, will win a virtual wine tasting with me. So to finish off, I've got my wine quote, and it's a classic one, a quite famous one by Galileo Galilei. And he simply says, wine is sunlight held together by water. I think quite apt considering every time I drink a wine from Chafee Bros, it's simply a glass of sunshine. So thank you, Daniel. And thank you, Theo. Now, thank you to all of you for listening. And as always, if you haven't shared, please do so like this podcast. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do. So I'll see you back here tomorrow for Chafee Bros part two. And until tomorrow, cheers to you.